How are you doing this morning? I have um, been thinking a lot about what God is doing through our church, and it's very exciting. The kids are very exciting. Seeing almost every seat full in this room is very exciting. But let me tell you why this is happening. It's happening because of Jesus. Jesus is the reason why we gather. Jesus is the one that we worship, and Jesus is the one that is moving among us. And it is an unbelievable privilege to be a part of it. And so I want to ask you to continue to pray what that means for you. We'll talk about it here in the message in Romans 6. This is not a preview or anything, but it's, it's just a pastoral ask. What, is, what does God want you to do? At Cypress Creek Church, we say that, that uh, as partners of Cypress, we commit to gathering, we commit to growing in our faith, we commit to giving, and we commit to going and living on mission. Those are our four Gs, the gather, the give, the grow, and go. And, and so what does that mean for you? Again, that's not the message. That's just me putting it in front of us so that we continue to be stirred up to see what God has for us. It is an exciting time. And in this book that we are reading through, this uh, letter to the church in Rome, the book of Romans, is also all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's the deepest letter that we have about Jesus. And we've been looking at this idea of being justified through Christ by faith, that Jesus has declared us not guilty, that our track record is not only one where we're, we're, we're guilty because of our sin. We all fall short of the glorious standard, God. doesn't matter if we messed up a little bit or a lot of it. We all fall short, but God has declared us, has justified us, and declared us not guilty. And so now we have right standing with God for something that we didn't do, that we didn't deserve. And this morning, we're going to pivot, and we're going to look at this other important word that's called sanctification. Can we all say that together? Sanctification. Sanctification simply means to become more like Jesus. We say that we are a group of imperfect people who are all on a journey to follow the only perfect Savior, and that is Jesus. So we are never truly perfect until we transition into glory, and that's really the third part. We are justified when we say yes to Jesus, when he imputes his righteousness to us. He gives it to us. We now have right standing before God. We continually grow in our faith to become more like Jesus. And then one day, either when we pass or Jesus returns, we will be glorified. We we will live in glory. And so this season is an exciting season because it is soccer season. I got to coach my kids in soccer. And uh, it's, it's, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm going to be very vulnerable. It's been, it's been hard for me to coach my kids because I've grown up playing the sport. I love the sport. I love to watch it. I love to play it. I mean, all, all things, maybe not referee it, but that's the only thing I don't enjoy about that sport. It's amazing. Coaching these kids, though, has made me think of a couple of things. Number one, uh, I had really high expectations. My fervor, my passion, and my zeal greatly surpassed that of a five-year-old. So I had to learn to, to bury my competitive nature because after all, I'm a pastor and I have a reputation to keep in this town. So I didn't want to be that guy. You know, have you seen that guy or seen that coach or that parent? And so I had to, you know, bury it. But the cool thing, a few seasons into it now, I've realized, man, I love 
coaching these kids the fundamentals of soccer, whether they're five or seven or eight, so that they can one day grow to become the best players of the best sport in the entire world. We had a group of Texas State football players here at the nine o'clock, and I told them, hey, soccer is it. You know, it's football, like football. There's no, you know, it's, it's just the best. There's no debate. You can't even debate me because this forum doesn't allow it, so you're just going to have to <laughs> accept that. If we looked at justification, sanctification, and glorification through that lens, justification means this, that there was no tryout. You made the team. You never had to prove yourself. You're just on the team. You're on God's team. God says, I chose you to be on my team. Isn't that cool? Sanctification means now, once you're on the team, you learn the fundamentals. You train. You practice. You don't sit on the bench. You're in the game. You show up. You put in the work. And then you don't do it in order to receive that trophy. But you do it because that trophy has already been promised to us. That glorification that one day we will be reigning with Christ forever and ever. Uh, I've been a coach a few seasons, and I'm, again, struggling through this because in four seasons or three, four seasons of U8 division, when they finally give out trophies to the top three, we've come in fourth. So now it's coming back up. I'm like, all right, kids, get that path. Come on, let's go. Give me more. Give me more. You can do it. But the bottom line is, in our faith, We've already been promised the trophy. We're living in light of that reward. He's already given it to us. That's what we're going to see as Paul talks to us about how the gospel changes everything in Romans chapter 6. I got four points and four questions for us this morning. I just want to add one more story, and then I'll get going, I promise. This Tuesday at our men's community group. Shout out to Tom's Tuesday morning, 6 a.m. community group. Where are you at, guys? Hey, two of you. The rest were at 9 o'clock, and the others are sleeping. Two guys. One sitting on my left, the other sitting on my right. They're both here this morning. Said that one year ago, their lives were completely different. They couldn't even recognize who they were because of what Jesus has done in and through them. He changes everything. And you may be here and you're either just starting out your faith journey or you're checking it out. You're still not sure about totally surrendering to Jesus. Or, or you may be in a moment in your faith where you want to grow. You just don't know how this morning, these four points are like anchors that we can hold on to that will, I promise you, if we receive them, if we allow them to live in our hearts and our minds this week, they will grow our faith and they will change us to become more like Jesus. Let's pray. We ask, uh, Father, through your word that you would be our teacher, that your word would pierce our hearts, that you would compel us to respond to what you've already done for us, Jesus. I thank you for every circumstance and every family that is represented in this room. Your blessing, Lord, upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Paul starts with one of two questions. He writes, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? So 
Paul is saying we've been justified, you know, we've been declared not guilty. We didn't deserve it. So now do we just live the way that we want to live because we know that God's going to continue to forgive us? His grace is unending. Hallelujah. Is that we can just do whatever we want? And he said, no, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. This word joined is the first how the gospel changes everything. He's invited us into his death. He's invited us to his resurrection. He says that when we do this thing called baptism, then we are joined together with him. I was raised Catholic and I was uh, sprinkled as a baby. And, and then when I started to come here in a community group, you know, pastors asking me, college pastor, what do you think about baptism? I'm like, I'm good, man. I'm good. And, and what I didn't want to do looking back is I just didn't want to go through the I, I didn't. I was breaking from religion, and so I didn't want to just do the steps. It wasn't until I realized that baptism is a direct response to something that Jesus had done for me. It was personal. He asked me to join him, and then I did something that I'll never forget. I, I called my pastor, and I said, hey, let's do it. I'm ready now, and so at 18, freshman at Texas State, I got baptized in the St. Marcus River. This morning, someone was listening to the live stream at the nine o'clock and they heard this and they turned and showed up here and said, I'm ready to be baptized today. And that's why the baptismal baptismal is outside ready. It's a direct response to God. It's not in order to it's because he invited us in with him. It is deeply personal. And it is a symbol. It's, it's a ceremony. It's like marriage where you have your wedding day. And then after that, you make that commitment day after day. But that ceremony, the marriage is public. It's, a, it's an outward expression of something that you've been preparing for inwardly. And so in baptism, inwardly, we have said yes to Jesus. We are saved by faith in Christ. Amen. Baptism is just a response to that. It's the automatic response. And so I have a question for us today. Have, have you responded to God through baptism? Is that something that you have done? Let me encourage you if you're like, no, and, and I don't know, I, like you, Jose, I've been sprinkled, or I, I don't want to just go through the steps. Two things. One, it's between you and God. So don't take this as pressure for me. Because I'm not the one telling you to do anything. It's between, take that to God. Number two, when we act in obedience to the things that he has asked us to do, we see a response in the church. It's, it's, it's a celebration of what God is doing in our church, and it encourages other to make, others to make that same step. So I really encourage you to take it to God. Maybe talk to a community group leader. Come after the service. We'll have few folks here that are available to pray with you. Share that with them or someone that you came with and respond to God.
through baptism. We see this picture of a one-time event that you continually return to. It's a theme. Let's keep reading in verse 5. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with us, raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Paul is preaching. He's going for it. And what he's saying is if, if you want to be changed forever, understand that you have been set free from the power of sin thanks to what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross and his resurrection. I mean, totally set free, not kind of, totally. That's the promise. We are all in process, and that looks different for all of us. Some of us are in bondage to addiction, and we've tried a lot of different things, and we've said the prayer, and we've gone to rehab, and we've done the thing, and we still struggle. Stay tuned, because chapter 7 deals with that tension. So Paul's going to continue to address. He's not saying that we're free from sin once and for all. We're never going to mess up. We're never going to No, He's not saying that. He's saying that death no longer is our future. That we can live forever, and we can live in light of what Jesus has done for us. There's an old hymn that says this, sin will take you further than you want to go, slowly but wholly taking control. Sin will leave you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. Sin starts small, and when it stays in the, in the secret, when it stays hidden, it, it multiplies wider, it impacts more people, and it gets ingrained in us deeper. We have been set free from the power of sin, and, and the, the gift that we have is we can confess our sins to one another, knowing that not only are we forgiven, but when we do that with another person, we are also healed. We are healed. A problem in our culture right now that we are seeing, no doubt about this, is that our culture is trying to deal with the, pro with the problem of sin by justifying it, by saying that it's not really that bad. If, if you do this, ah, it's 2023. The problem there is that we can't justify sin. We can't justify something Jesus has already justified us from. He's declared us not guilty. And so when we start calling sin not sin, what we're actually doing so we're diluting sin and taking power from what Jesus did for us on the cross. We're saying that it wasn't that bad, that his suffering wasn't as, as, as terrible as it was. He is saying that the power of sin was great, but Jesus was greater. He set us free. Uh, another problem is when we just show face here at church on Sunday morning, do the routine on, in community group. We just show up, but we don't ding deep. We stay on the bench. We don't get in the game. Then it's called cheap grace. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian, says. He says this in his book, Cost of Discipleship. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. 
and he contrasts it with costly grace. And here's what costly grace is. Costly grace is the gospel, which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought with a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. How am I living in light of God's costly grace? Am I seeing sin, and am I just going through the motions, or, 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 or are we truly understanding that the power of Jesus has actually set us free from sin? He did it once for all. We're about to read. And our journey, our sanctification journey, is little by little as we do this together. Let's keep on reading. In verse 9, death no longer has any power over him. That's Jesus. When Jesus died, Jesus died once to break the power of sin. Again, he did it how many times? Once. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves wholly, completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Paul is saying here, when we consider the gospel, that we were dead to sin and alive to God today because of what he did for us, then he's going to use us as instruments for his glory. Our body is an instrument. It's either used for evil or it is used for good. It is used for God or it is used to suit whatever I want it to suit for. And what Paul is saying, when we have been justified by grace through Christ, then we can be used for God's glory. I uh, grew up doing two things, playing soccer and doing band. Any other band nerds in the house? Come on. I know you're there. Unashamed is the name of our uh, theme. I've been practicing vulnerability with you guys. Thank you for your grace. Band nerd all the way. I actually got plugged in to the junior high and the high school here in town when I came as a student pastor through band. Long story short, I fulfilled a childhood dream to be a band director. I'll never forget those days. Anyway, here's my point for this message. Our instruments, we, our body is an instrument, and that means two things. One, that we ourselves have an individual assignment, an individual focus, and we are a small part of a greater whole. We'll talk more about this in Romans chapter 12 with spiritual gifts and the like. But someone cannot practice for us. We need to practice. We need to put in the work. We need to continually train our bodies, our minds. We need to show up to church and community group, and we need to pray and read our Bibles and confess. That's our work. It has to do with those fundamentals that I'm trying to teach my kids on the soccer field. We have to practice and practice and practice and practice so that we can sound good but more importantly, so that we can really make a joyful sound all 
together. The new purpose that God's given us is being instruments for God's glory. No one learned how to play Beethoven overnight. It takes practice. No one knew how to overcome that one sin once and for all. It takes discipline. It's called discipleship. It is little by little, moment by moment, but you and I are never alone in the process. And the key here is to go back to the gospel message. Again, like the wedding, going, reminding yourselves of those vows that you made. Baptism, reminding yourself of what you did that one day where you went underwater and you were raised to life and you were, ashamed, you were wet, ashamed in front of people. Why do we do that? Because it's a symbol of this. It's what God has done for us. We, we celebrated that with communion. There was one last supper. And now we continually do that to remember what he did for us. And so in order to be new uh, instruments for God's glory, do I daily consider being dead to sin and alive to God? Is that a reality for me in my mind and in my heart as I walk out my faith? If so, it'll, our lives will sound a little like this. Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. No longer living for me, I'm living for God. One last point. We're going to read 15 through 23. I'll stop here and there, but our point is at the end of 23. Here we go. Last question. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? So because Christ fulfilled the law, does that mean that the law is not true anymore? We don't need to worry about it. And he said, no, no, no. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. So in the Roman world back then, Stats are that about 20% of the Roman population were enslaved in some way. And uh, there were different types of slaves, different than the slaves that we read about our, uh, in, in our history books in our country. They were completely owned by their masters. And uh, he's using an analogy here because the, he's speaking to slaves. And, and, and so a lot of them understand this. It's a great illustration that Paul is making. Are you slaves to sin or are you... A, slave to righteousness. He keeps on writing, previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to slaves, to righteous living, so that you will become holy. Another translation says sanctified, so that you can become more like Jesus. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the end result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do that end in eternal doom. He's talking about life before Christ. When we thought we could do anything, and, and then when we realized was, man, that was just a bad idea. Maybe it sounded good temporarily. Maybe it tasted good for a little while, but the end result is always death and separation from God. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. 
Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, why, why, why does the gospel change everything? Because now we're, we're no longer slaves to sin, but to God. There's no way to be free without Jesus. We, we have this idea in our country because we love freedom, but there is no way to be truly free without saying yes to Jesus and accepting the punishment that he took and the price that he paid for me and for you. Only that can truly set us free. And now we're, we're called to be slaves to God, both in bondage, bondage to God and bondage to slaves, different endings, different masters. Here's how both masters compare slaves to sin, death, bondage, impurity, lawlessness, shame, eternal doom, slaves to God, righteous living, freedom, purity, holiness, confidence, eternal life. You may be here pondering both. You, you may be here and saying, but that I don't want to give that up. That, that is too costly for me. Again, let's remember the cost that he paid for us. That's why we do it. We don't do it to be a little bit better. We do it as a response because we didn't deserve it. But God gave us his son. That's what A.W. Tozier says. He says, we must of necessity be servant to someone, either to God or to sin. The man who surrenders to Christ exchanges a cruel slave driver for a kind and gentle master whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. What is holding me back from living wholeheartedly for God? What are the things, what are those sins maybe living in that hidden place that are keeping us from being fully alive to God? We have an opportunity this morning to respond to that. And I want to leave you with this. If, if you're wondering, you're, you're thinking, you're like, I don't know. For some of us, we know. But for some of us, we don't know. Check your calendar. Check what's taking your time. Check your checkbook. What's, what's taking your money? Check your concerns. What, what, what are you concerned about at the end of the day? What's keeping you up at night? What's the stress? And then the fourth is check out the crowd that you're walking in. And, and God will show you which things are holding you back from living in response to what he has already done for us. I said that we were slaves of God, but in John 15, 13, Jesus tells us our true identity, who we really are in his eyes. He is in the upper room, right where he celebrated supper, right before he goes on the cross. And he says this in John 15, 13 through 15, greater love has no one than this. Then one laid down his life for his friends. And he's talking to his disciples and he's talking to us who are in Christ. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. That's a relationship. That's intimacy with God that we can enjoy when we say yes to him. We're going to sing a song that says, no longer slaves to sin. We are now called children of God's son and daughter. And maybe this is the morning, if you have yet to say yes to Jesus, 
for you to respond to what he did for you by going all in for him. Maybe this morning you tell your parents or your friends or your community group leader, it's time to make my faith public through baptism, express outwardly something that has been a reality for a while internally. Maybe this is the morning where we just get to leave the things that are holding us back from following God wholeheartedly right here before we walk out there. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way for us. Thank you for inviting us into your death and your resurrection, for allowing us to join you, God. Thank you for the power of the cross that has set us free from sin. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of everlasting life. Lord, thank you that you want to use us as instruments for your glory. And thank you, Lord, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but are called your children, I pray. Holy Spirit, that we would respond to what you are speaking to each of our lives, that we would express ourselves vulnerably and honestly, because like Joel said earlier, you went ahead and laid it all on the line. You, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, became a slave and obedient to death to the point, uh, obedient to the cross to the point of death. And we thank you for that sacrifice and the promise of life. In Jesus' name I pray.